This podcast contains strong language and adult themes. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to A Page Too Far, the show where each week one of us reads a book and then tells the other all about it. Will it be good? Will it be bad? Let's find out. My name is McGilla Gorilla, and this is my wonderful co-host, the Grape Ape. How are you doing, Grape Ape? I feel like I should be mixed into a drink right now. Uh, okay, I, I'll take that as a, a good. Yeah, yeah I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, this week's book I've selected is Time Blender by Michael Dorn. It is a sci-fi adventure published in 1997, and it's approximately 276 pages long. Not approximately, that's precisely 276 <laughs> pages long. <laughs> So the reason I picked this book, yes, well, I mean, just look at it. Yeah, what's going on? So we have, explain that to our audience. We have, wow, this is. I can only describe this as like a '90s cover because this this looks incredible. <laughs> yes. You have an Indiana Jones esque leather jacket, though it's kind of a, a newer, baggier version. He has a fedora on it. A novel by Star Trek's own Michael Dorn. Okay, right. Okay. So if, you, if for those of you who don't know who Michael Dorn is, he's the actor who played Worf in Star Trek: The Next Generation. That was my second reason for getting the book, because I'm, because <laughs> yeah, the cover is bonkers, and then it advertises very loudly, written by Star Trek actor Michael Dorn. Right. And if you if you turn it around, you can see a photo of Michael Dorn. Mm-hmm. 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 You'll notice the character on the cover looks exactly like Michael Dorn. This is this is very much a self insert OC. Well, see, I don't know if that was his idea or the publisher's idea, because it very well could be the publisher saying, let's put your face on the cover, it'll sell better. Right. Which I'm, I'm sure they did. That's the whole reason they have, what, what's this? Samurai warriors battle Egyptian gods on the island of no return. To finish the cover description, there is what appears to be an Anubis head. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, appears to be some, some uh, pyramids. Maybe they look lit up, maybe that's just the cover. Uh, an Easter Island head, and mm-hmm. then uh, a blue sun. So this this is a little spoiler, but that Anubis guy on the cover yeah. is not in the book. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there is Promising no start. There's no Anubis looking guy in the book. <laughs> Promising start. Alrighty, well let's get into it. Time Blender. Our book begins with our protagonist, Dr. Tony Miller, tenured professor at the University of Berkeley, practicing his Tai Chi. On the island of Runa Puake in the Polynesian Isles, and he's kind of on a, he's on he's on like a, a little landing on top of a cliff, okay. Like, and he's looking out over the ocean, and he, he loves Tai Chi, so he's practicing his Tai Chi. Picturesque, I love it. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter, Miller is then joined by his academic partner, Doctor Jay Cook, and they talk about pretty much nothing for a couple of pages. It's just exposition that doesn't apply to the plot at all. <laughs> So you say academic partner. Yeah. Is it just an academic partner? Because he's practicing Tai Chi in the Polynesian <laughs> Islands. Okay, well, okay. Yes, they, they are academic partners. They, okay. they're, so they're on this island for uh, an expedition. Okay. They've been on the island for about three months. And the reason they're there is because they found a bunch of Easter Island-esque stone heads. Okay. And so they knew, they knew there was like a group of people living there, but they're gone and they don't know where they went. So that's why they're there. Um, and I think they eventually conclude that this civilization came to an end because they became cannibals, just ate themselves to death. And then eventually just couldn't. Did, so did they eat themselves to death as in like they just, they the last the last one ate the second to last one? Or was it that they just ate themselves uh, and then Apparently, because like okay. there was evidence of cannibalism and they don't know how they died. So they, they assumed they way. died of cannibalism. Interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. I don't think that's that happens in real life. I don't think so either. 
I think you would realize that your source of food is running out. Yeah, but anyways, that actually doesn't matter at all. <laughs> okay. I'm going to keep saying that because <laughs> there's things I feel I should mention, but really I don't think they ever, I mean, it kind of does. Whatever, we'll continue. On page eight, we get a flashback of Miller. Okay. Uh, he was a pilot during the Iraq war. He was an Air Force pilot. And in the flashback, he is on a bombing run to destroy Saddam's communication center. So he goes into detail about how these missiles have a camera on the front. So it'll take interval, you know, intervals of pictures. Sure. Send them back to the plane so you know that it's about to hit its target. Yeah. And as it's taking pictures and he's getting these pictures and it's getting closer and closer to the building, the last picture is the window of the building and it has a bunch of children's faces pressed against the glass. Oh, no. That's the opposite of... So he killed a whole lot of kids. And this is going to haunt Miller for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. But that never gets brought up again in the rest of the book. So <laughs> okay. All right. There's a lot of setup that just doesn't come back. But... I thought that would be the one thread that would come up later. Yeah, that's going to, at the inopportune moment, he's going to have a breakdown. And it it it, it doesn't. So huh. let, let's move on. All right. Okay. So Miller snaps out of his flashback. And he is, he's, so his, he was just staring out into the ocean. And coming out of the flashback, he sees a giant tsunami rushing towards the island. Oh, no, this is bad. So he runs to the excavation site where Cook, his partner, just walked off to. Sure. He runs the excavation site. And Cook is unconscious laying at the bottom of their excavation pit. And so, he, he believes he's dead. So he's an unconscious dead person and a tsunami coming after him. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. so he jumps down to look at Miller and it turns out Miller is breathing. He's alive. So he's just knocked unconscious. Oh, thank God. So, yeah, thank God. He, so he throws them over his shoulder and they're running to their seaplane, which they have to get off the island for emergency situations just like this. Yeah, convenient. It's probably how they got on the island, honestly. Probably. But yeah. So they're running to the seaplane. He gets them in the plane. He takes off and just barely misses this wave coming through. And the wave completely wipes out everything on the island, even the stone heads. heads mm. everything, everything's just gone, right? So as they're flying, Cook sort of wakes up screaming, but then starts convulsing and... This is probably one of the more interesting parts of the book. Uh, from Miller's point of view, he says, Cook's face looked like it was bubbling and flowing. Okay. So. <laughs> bubbling and flowing face. So, the ex did they give any more exposition about the excavation site? Do we, no. was it, it was just this cannibal tribe. It's, that's it. He it's, sees him unconscious, and now his face is bubbling. Yep, his face is bubbling, and it, it seems to be, like, continuously morphing and changing. Horrifying. Yeah, Horrifying. And Cook is intermittently screaming and convulsing, and then all of a sudden, just, he just looks like Cook again, but he starts talking very unusually. Mm -hmm. Think HK droid from KOTOR. Okay. It's robotic, okay. and not all of his words make sense. What's his definition of love? <laughs> Taking out someone's kneecaps at, what, three kilometers away? Or, yeah, I fucking forget. Twilight scope. <laughs> Okay, so Miller's trying to talk with Cook, but he's not understanding him because he's talking really weird. Okay. He's saying things like, aerial vehicle speed increase? Question mark? So he's like barely communicating on a human-to-human -human basis. He's using words. Yeah, they're, but they're it's very, words. very strange. So out of nowhere, this gigantic lightning storm just coalesces in front of them. Oh. Just like... Shit is going down. Yeah, you got a tsunami. <laughs> Stuff you is got happening. An unconscious dead guy who's now speaking gibberish, and his face is boiling like the the scarabs in the mummy. Yeah, so a lot is a, a lot is being thrown at him right yeah. now. 
so he takes evasive action, and he's an expert pilot. Of course, he was in the Air Force, so he's trying to get away yeah. from the storm. And Cook is kind of just talking weird. He's saying he's talking about them and that that they have arrived or something. Like the storm is a group of individuals or something. That's only good news. This the the plane cuts out, completely dies. They go into a nosedive. Miller is fighting with the controls, and he manages to pull it back up. The plane seems to be alive again, and the storm has completely disappeared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So Miller decides that Cook has gone insane from his injuries. Sure. And he needs to take him to somewhere where there's a hospital. A very logical conclusion. They're very close to Tahiti, so that's where he, he makes his heading. He's going to Tahiti. They're passing over a small island that seems to have a volcano on it, and they're flying directly over the volcano. At this point, Cook gets really excited and starts talking about artifact present, artifact present, as he's pointing at the volcano. Okay. We don't know what the artifact is at this point. Right. Is M- he, Miller doesn't know. Is he, is he saying, this is, this is my own personal musing, is he saying present like the present or present like, like a gift? Like it's here. It's, it's here. So the artifact is here. Right. That's, that's okay. essentially what okay. he's saying. Okay. So he's, he's flying directly over this volcano, the mouth of the volcano, and the plane dies again, completely dead. Hmm. So he's like, there's something wrong with my plane. I need to land or we're going to crash. So he finds uh, a bit of beach on this island and he successfully lands like next to like a beautiful lagoon or whatever. Oh, okay. Picturesque. And so he's checking out the plane and it seems okay. And he's like, and Cook is really excited. He's like, we need to go get this artifact. That's the only thing that matters is this artifact, right? And uh, and so he's like, okay, whatever. We can explore the island a little bit, maybe radio for help and have someone come get us. So Miller gets out. So there's a seaplane, right? So it kind of went into the lagoon. So it's on the water. Okay, yeah. So Miller jumps off the plane, just swims around. And he's like going to swim to shore, but Cook is not jumping in. Cook seems very afraid of the water. Okay. This confuses Miller because Cook is an excellent swimmer, and according to him, he is a much better swimmer than Miller is. Mm-hmm. So he's like, ah, oh, this, this is a little weird. Like he's off his rocker, but he also just seems to have forgotten everything about himself. And so he eventually convinces Cook to jump in. Cook jumps in and then almost drowns. He kind of flounders and then just sinks. And so Miller has to save him and get him to shore. And Cook is spluttering, and the whole time Cook is still talking like some alien being that has never spoken English before. Right. Like, really weird. Right. So then once they, they get onto dry land, they start venturing into the jungle where they eventually stumble upon a giant stone head, just like the ones at the island that he had his expedition on. Convenient. Convenient. Con- convenient. So can, can Cook, Cook and walk okay? Yeah. He just can't swim. Yeah, he just can't swim for some reason. He just forgot how to swim. Apparently. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's this giant stone head in a clearing, and so they're like, oh, that's interesting. And Miller wants to stop and study, and Cook's like, no, we need to go with the artifact. And so they just press on, and this kind of grates on Miller a little bit. Like, it, Cook's whole behavior is grating on Miller, honestly. I, I could see that. So they pass through this clearing, and just a little ways further, he finds a World War II-era Japanese submarine sticking out of the ground nose up. That's not supposed to be there. No. And reading this book, at this point, I'm like, this is, this is lost. This fucking Lost, the, the TV show. I See, I never saw They're Lost. Just, no? Okay. I it, never watched it. Supremely disappointing. But anyway, you should bring that up, but... So anyways, it, this is weirding out Miller, kind of. Just all of this. He's having a rough day. They move deeper into the jungle, and they come upon what appears to be a crashed spacecraft. Mm-hmm. With odd, unfamiliar iconography and symbols on the outside. 
right? Cook is really excited saying this, here's where the artifact is. This is the area where the artifact is and saying like location affirmed and stuff like that. So Miller comes to the conclusion that this is all part of a movie set and the movie is being filmed on this island. <laughs> so now we're in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, that's, I guess he, he thinks he's, it's a somebody's, movie set and they're just, just off having fun. Yeah. Or maybe just left over. They did a movie yeah. and it's just left over. So he, he's trying to think of the rational explanation for all this. So Cook is, he goes right up to the spacecraft and there's like a panel with numbers. Okay. And he's punching in seven digit codes frantically into the panel and complaining that the codes aren't working. And Miller is even more confused. Like, how do you even know what this is? What are you right. doing? Like, right. this is, this is even more confusing. Eventually, he punches in a, se a seven-digit code that works, and he gets into the spacecraft. So they both climb in. Seems like not a secure spacecraft. Uh, I mean, seven-digit code, that would be kind of hard to brute force, right? You'd have to know the codes. Y but it's possible. But there's no, like, security system. Like, it right. zaps you or anything. It didn't lock him out after four attempts. Yeah. Or... <laughs> like fucking Windows. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, they get into the ship. Miller is kind of blown away because he's like, this looks like a real ship. Yeah. Cook starts freaking out because he's like, artifact is not present. Where is location? And he's freaking out. And Miller is trying to calm him down. Miller asks him, what, what the hell is this artifact? What does he t even talk? What is the artifact? I'd have asked that a long time ago at this point. I think me too. I think the second he, he said like, artifact. What are you talking about? Yeah, probably. So Cook then tells Miller that the artifact balances chaos of time-space into consistent linear pattern. Miller now believes that Cook has schizophrenia. Again, logical conclusion. Yeah, so, so he ties him up because Cook, Cook is threatening to just run off into the jungle in search of the artifact. Right. That, like this whole time they've been super careful and now Cook is frantic trying to run off in the jungle. And Miller is worried about cannibals. Because they have from precedent. his experience, there's a lot of cannibals in the Polynesian island, or right. at least that's part of some of their cultures. Right. So he's worried if the island is inhabited, it might be cannibals and they might be eaten. So he ties up Miller. Mm -hmm. they, they talk a bit. This is the part I didn't, I don't think I marked it down. I don't remember what happens. They talk a little bit. And then Miller just unties Cook, <laughs> even though he's still acting the same. What? I, I, Cook, I think Cook just promises not to run into the jungle willy-nilly. You can just you can just tie you can do like the the little toddler harness where you just put it like around the arms and then have it <laughs> on like, a lead rope yeah, or something. Exactly. Uh, he probably should have done that. So they're continuing to walk through the jungle. There seems to be some kind of path, and pretty soon they come up on a village that's made out of wreckage. So crashed planes, boats, oh. all sorts of stuff. They've seemed to have taken these pieces and made huts and stuff. That's actually kind of dope. Yeah, and that's a real thing, by the way. Like salvage cultures are a real thing. Makes so. Sense. Yeah, that, that's one interesting thing about this book is a lot of the stuff he talks about the Polynesians seems accurate to me. So he did a little bit of research into that at least. He probably just took a trip to Tahiti. Or maybe. And he was like a Vacation tourist for two there. weeks. Yeah, exactly. yeah I, don't, I don't know. So they kind of creep up on this village very carefully and try to stay low. They don't see anyone immediately. But after a little bit of talking, whether or not they should go into the village or not and introduce themselves... Miller then sees a woman coming from a nearby stream with a bucket of water, and she appears to be almost completely naked. And he gets super horny for her and forgets that they're trying to stay low. Uh-huh. So it's, it's the end of the Jungle Book. 
Basically, yes, it's exactly the end of the Jungle Book. <laughs> he says, woman, and then he forgets everything like all men do. Yeah. And so he immediately, and Cook is like, bro, we had a plan. <laughs> and Miller just gets up and goes and talks to her. And she doesn't seem scared at all. She seems very happy that he's there. Nice. And she immediately takes him to her shelter and they go inside. Oh right? boy. Okay. This is good or bad. Bitch's name is Yuki, okay? Yuki. <laughs> Yuki, that's her name. Okay. They chit-chat for about five minutes or so mm-hmm. until... Does she speak English? Oh, no. I'm sorry. I skipped that part. So Miller is he's, he's, he has a PhD. He's super smart. Okay. So he knows a lot of, like, different Local dialects. dialects of the Polynesian Isles. Okay. okay. So he taps into a really old dialect that theirs seems to be based on, but it's one he's never heard before. So they're an isolated tribe, apparently. Right. But he's able to communicate with her because he can he can guess the changes right. that they've made and adapt. Okay. He already he knows all the root words. Already. He's both. Exactly. So, so they talk for about five or six minutes, and then Miller notices that a man comes to the door, and this man Uh-oh. is wearing striped pants and a Japanese army helmet. And from henceforth, I'm going to refer to him as pajama pants. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> So he's pissed at seeing Miller in his hut mm-hmm. with his girl. Yep. And immediately grabs Miller by the, the scruff of his the shirt. As you would. It's completely understandable. Yeah. I'm on this guy's side. Yeah. On, through the whole book, I'm like on his side, not Miller's <laughs> side. Okay. And and th- this book, I kind of glossed over it, but Miller is like hyped up as a complete Chad at the beginning of the book. He okay. was in the Air Force. He knows Tai Chi and other martial arts. He's super dope, smart, handsome, has money, all of that shit. The only downside is he never had a family, and he regrets that, okay? So this dude grabs him by the scruff of the shirt, and being the absolute Chad that he is, he pries the dude's fingers right off Ooh, his shirt. Nice. Right? So then they all walk outside where the rest of the inhabitants seem to be gathering, mm-hmm. curious about Cook and Miller, naturally. Yeah. There's an old woman that walks up to them. She is dressed in red feathers. She has finger bones in her hair, a machine gun staff. I guess it's just a staff made of machine gun parts, like barrels put together or something. So she, she's got a gun staff, which is pretty badass. She's like an anime character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and she is always. She also wears a, a sash of testicles. Oh, yes. I don't. I don't know if I just saw like a necklace of balls. I don't know that I would be able to distinguish that that is, in fact, what it is. Pro- it would probably take me a second. I'd be like, wait a second. Those are testicles. I'd be like thinking about it the next day. Like, wait a minute. So they then immediately imprison Miller and Cook into one of their huts. It's like a prison hut. It's locked up. That follows. Yes. That tracks. At this point, Cook is becoming extremely agitated, like more than before. At this point? At this point. Okay. Again, I'm going to say at this point a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So he's he's getting frantic, and he's like... The artifact is present. We must go immediately to retrieve. Like that sort of talk. Cook then starts telling Miller that he is not, in fact, Dr. J. Cook, his colleague. Which I guessed, like, back in the plane ride. <laughs> this is this is face-bubbling boiling man. It, is not, in fact, face-bubbling boiling man. It's not Cook. It is. It is. Yes, that also tracks. Yeah, like back in the plane ride, when he started talking weird, I was yeah. like, oh, he got possessed by something. Yeah, exactly. And this whole time, Miller is like, oh, he hit his head. Oh, he must have schizophrenia. Oh, he must be on his period. I don't know. Like, he comes up with every excuse of the book not to acknowledge this possibility. So Cook is literally telling him, I am not Jay Cook. I am 
someone who was here for the artifact, okay? My head is actually in Anubis. <laughs> I wish. So Miller just believes that the, the trauma is causing a dissociative condition. Okay. So Okay. All right. So he did, it's all of these things at once is like what Miller thinks. Anti-confirmation bias. Yeah, it's really weird. So anyways, Pajama Pants, after a few hours, mm -hmm. Pajama Pants busts open the door and a bunch of other village men hustle Miller and Cook to the center of the village where everyone is gathered, right? Mm -hmm. There's also the chief, the old lady who had the red feathers and the testicles right. and all that. She's there along with five others also dressed in red feathers and tried body parts. Ooh. They appear... So later comes out they're like the elders, right? Do they do they combine and form like a megazord? No, that would be awesome though if the book went in that direction. But it's a boring old village elders, ah. right? So they do some type of ceremony and they blow horns, and then the elders and the chief lead the whole group up the path towards the volcano. Wonderful. This is not going in a great direction, right? Yeah. No, this can only be good things. The whole way Miller is getting poked and prodded and pushed. In the back by pajama pants, who All now right. has a grudge with him. Well, yes. I mean, look, understandably, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you find a strange dude in your hut with your girl. I, the There's the Judge Judy effect here, though, that says if your girl just invites a guy over, maybe it's not the guy's fault. True. I mean, there, there's a case to be made it's, here, right? It's, it's understandable. I, I get it. So, but <laughs> maybe your girl needs some help. That's what I'm saying. It definitely develops into like a domestic dispute. Yeah, okay? maybe you should, should re-examine your commitment. So pajama pants give them a hard time. And at this point, Miller says, and I'm I'm reading directly from the book here. Wonderful. I don't know what Yuki sees in you, Miller said, smiling. You're a stupid, mean-spirited bag of ugly. Yuki is too good for you. This this girl who effectively Invited you into her home after you jumped on her for her tatas. The the girl who you talked to for five minutes. For five minutes. Like, bro, you don't know her. You can't. This. So this is the exact moment in the book. It was page eighty. I remember page, page 80. eighty. I was like, I want to throw this book away. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. far, this character Miller is not relatable. He's not interesting. I, I hate him. I hate the main character at this point. He's like someone's fantasy of what they wish they could be, but that person isn't mature enough to understand what they should be. Right. Right? It's right. like, it's borderline like nice guy syndrome. It was like, she does it. She deserves better than you. And it's like, you don't fucking know her, dude. Right. Like, right. So anyways, once I got over that hump, I put the book down for like two days and then picked it back up. <laughs> Cook is then then starts frantically telling Miller that they must escape because they're getting closer to the artifact and they need to go get it, right? Okay. But they're they're under armed guard. Like these guys are pointing spears. And they're still they, are they still walking up the volcano? They're still walking up the volcano, yeah. so they can't really do much right now. Cook goes on to tell Miller that in the future there will be a war between environmentalists. Okay. Hereafter referred to as the Bodies. The Bodies. The Bodies. It's B H O D I S. Bodies. And for-profit corporations, hereafter referred to as Gecko, G-E-C-O. Bodies and the Gecko. The Bodies and the Geckos, right? Okay. Bodies are the environmentalists, Geckos are the greedy corporate guys. Okay. And all factions involved in this war are striving for control of the artifact in order to manipulate time space, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that tracks. future war yeah. that somehow bleeds into the past. Right. Okay? Right. 
Cook hints that the destruction of the artifact could result in the collapse of space-time itself. Wonderful. Right. And Miller's all like, that's cool, dude. <laughs> because he's like, he still doesn't believe him at this right. point. He still thinks he's crazy. Yeah, he's so schizophrenic. He doesn't really absorb this information very well. And then Cook reiterates again, very emphatically, that he is not Cook. And that he has been sent back to get the artifact. And Miller doesn't give a fuck. He's in Look, a situation. I hear, I hear what you're saying. We'll get you help. We'll get there together. You Essentially, and you yeah. and you. Cook then starts telling Miller that in the future, they ran simulations to make sure he was the most likely guy to succeed their mission of achieving, you know, getting the artifact, oh, right? They did the Doctor Strange. Yes. <laughs> it took me a second. Yes. One. There's one, po one possibility. He says they ran 14 million simulations and have determined that Miller has one in seven chance of acquiring the artifact. Oh. Better chances than anyone else on Earth at this point in time. Huh. Okay. And then he also tells Miller that he himself has zero chance of surviving any of this. Okay. He's going so, to do it knowing. That's real dick move, though. Because Cook is a real guy. Yeah. He, yeah. And he's like... Uh, we're just going to take you over, and you're going to die. So sorry about that. Yeah, but your friend, your friend, odds are he's going to die, too. But Not great odds. pull it off. But okay odds. Yeah. yeah. So so the elders and the chief begin chanting. Uh, so, okay, at this point, they've reached the top of the volcano. Okay. Uh, they, they've come to a doorway that leads into the volcano, right? And then they stop, and the elders and the chief begin chanting. And there are these, like, dark fingers of cloud coming out of the sky, reaching into the volcano, right? Okay. Really spooky magic stuff. Yeah. So they begin walking into this tunnel that leads into the volcano. As they're walking, Miller notes that the chief seems to be frozen for a second and then teleports a few feet away. She likes spiked. Exactly. Like, ex yes, exactly. She froze and then teleported. And then she got stabbed by some fucking Dark Souls PvP piece of shit. <laughs> and <laughs> we've all been there. And so he's he's like, what what was that? What the hell was that? Anyways, they continue going into this volcano until they come to sort of a precipice, right? Inside. And then there's like there's, it's like a big conical opening. And then down below is the volcano floor. It doesn't seem to be an active volcano. Uh, but there's like this this floor down below. There goes my cast it into the fire joke. <laughs> And and they're kind of up on this little cliff side, like, I don't know, like 30 feet up or so, sure. looking down at it. So Miller is looking down at the floor of this volcano, and he sees a dull, shimmering sphere that seems to be emanating a, a bit of light, but really dully. Okay. And it's like flickering and stuff with some type of energy. And then Cook starts saying, artifact! Artifact! And he's really excited. So obviously it's the artifact, right? Yeah. They, they found it. Yeah. In a roundabout way. Just on the floor in a volcano. Miller also notices that the floor is littered with human bones. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so there's that. The elders begin blowing on conch shells like they were before in the village and chanting to the sphere, which seems to be reaching out to Miller. All right. Doesn't explain exactly what that means. Like the cloud tentacle things or like mentally or? He says it's like a tentacle, but he doesn't describe it as a cloud. It's just like reaching out with an ethereal tentacle. I do not consentical. Yeah. <laughs> So, that's a little troubling. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the guards begin to strip Miller and Cook. Miller takes issue with this. Well, yeah. And kind of slaps their hands away. Yeah. Like, ah! like indignant. You're not going to take my balls. And, 
And then looking around and talking with Cook, they decide that they better strip down because what else are they going to do? They're going to get stabbed to death with spirits otherwise. So then they strip themselves down. Okay. They're I'm doing this for me. They're, <laughs> they're, they're naked now. Miller is trying to communicate with Cook, but it seems like the closer they, they've gotten to this thing, the more that Miller's perception of reality has warped. So Miller is experiencing things as shapes and tastes. And this is hard to describe, and it's weird in the book. But he'll say the way that Cook shifts his head around tastes like rotten blue raspberry. Don't say this when they're naked. <laughs> so it's very strange, and it happens throughout the book. But when he's close to this artifact, it just it, he tastes weird shit when stuff goes down, right? Huh. And he's also seeing, sh like, when words are spoken, he sees weird shapes coming out of their mouth. Stuff like that, okay? so <laughs> He sees the speech bubble. <laughs> essentially. So it's, it's really weird. So then the guards force Cook into the pit. They just okay. push him in there. Cook lands on his feet and hands, but seems to be struggling to get back on his feet, as if gravity is much greater down uh -huh. on the floor, right? The chief raises a spear above her head, aiming it at Cook, and then points at a doorway behind the artifact. Okay. So from this, Miller deduces that the villagers want Cook to walk past the artifact Out to the get door. to that door, yeah. and that's the only way he's going to live, right? Yeah. It's a trial. If you can make it. So Cook kind of stumbles around a bit, trying to get used to this increase in gravity, and he notices that there's a second doorway underneath where the chief is standing. Oh. So where, from he, where he fell from, yeah. there was a door back the other way. Yeah. So he starts walking that way. because Away from the gravity. Yeah, he doesn't have to go past. The village people do not like, oh, the village people. <laughs> it was a matter of time. It, it was, was going to happen. The mil the village people are really pissed at this. And they're like, no, no. Well, they don't say no, but you know, they, they yeah. feel that way. Yeah. And they're throwing rocks at, at Cook. And the thing with the increased gravity is these rocks probably wouldn't hurt him, but with the increase in gravity, right. they, they are hurt, they're hitting him with like bone-shattering speed, yeah. right? And, and so he, you know, Cook can't walk that way because he's going to get stoned to death. And he's closer to the village people so that they have better aim right. at him. You right? got to walk underneath them. Right. So he's like, I, I'm going to have to try to get through here. Yeah. I, can't, I know I keep referring to it as Cook, but the, the person that's possessing right. Cook. The, the body formerly known as Cook. Exactly. So he's, he has to walk past the artifact. And so he, he starts going there, but like with the further he goes, the harder it is. It, right. It's it's Goku's gravity training chamber. Yeah. Or, or Vegeta's. What they both used it. Whatever the fuck. Yeah. It, it's it's getting harder and heavier. The and, rhyme chamber. And he and he can't keep walking. He has to. He starts crawling, and eventually that becomes too much. And he's crawling. He's not crawling towards the door. He's crawling towards these like rectangular panels that look really out of place, and they're kind of scattered around the outer edge All right. of the area, right? Okay. And he can't go any further. He's like, he's he's hurting too bad, so he's like motioning with his head to Miller at the rectangular panels, and Miller is not exactly getting it. Right. <laughs> so, because he's Miller. He's really smart, but he's also really stupid. Well, and and, and uh, Cook is clearly schizophrenic, so. Right, he's crazy, whatever. So, yeah. Cook, Cook then dies. He's nice. over, overcome with the gravity, and it just yeah. crushes his body. And everybody's cheering. Well, except Miller. Everyone else is cheering. They're, they're, they, they're, they're like, this is awesome. And then at that point, Miller notices that the lag happens again. There's another lag spike. Okay. Everything freezes. 
and then jumps ahead to where everyone is now quiet and looking at him. So it seems like he jumped forward in time slightly. Yeah. I mean, after all, the book is called Time Blender. So. It is. It is Time Blender. They now want him to get in the pit. Right. 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 And Your he's turn. like, he's he's trying to think of a way to get out of this. Like, how how can I not go in the pit? Because that right. it didn't fare. You know, Cook didn't fare very well with that. Right. So, Pajama Pants then tries to push him off the ledge into the pit. Okay. And Miller, being the absolute motherfucking Chad that he is, yeah, decks the dude completely and utterly, and has him pinned. And then one of the other guards just stabs him in the back of the arm with his spear. So Miller's well, like, ow, I should, I should not do that. <laughs> yes, yes is the answer there. So Miller, instead of allowing himself to be pushed in the pit, decides he's going to climb down in the pit. Okay, he's going to climb down. Right. Because, because it's like... It, it's, with his injured arm. With his injured arm, yes. Uh-huh. It wasn't specific about what part of his arm got stabbed, but his arm is stabbed with a spear. He just hit him with a funny bone. Yeah, I guess. And, I mean, that's not even, like, just wait. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> he gets worse injuries that he seems to be fine with. Huh. So so he starts climbing down this cliff, and the gravity is affecting him the further down he goes. So as he's about to climb down the cliff, he tells Pajama Pants, say hi to Yuki for me. That's his closing line. That's his closing line. He's going out with that. Say hi to your wife for me. Yeah, exactly. So, like, it's a pretty good burn. But at the same time, like, it's kind of pathetic. Yeah. It's a little pathetic. A little bit. <laughs> so so then he, he climbs down into the spot, all right? Once he gets down there, he realizes that Cook was motioning to the panels for a reason. Okay? Okay. So he decides he needs to head for those panels. Okay. Did anything trigger this decision? Just just him thinking. Okay. Okay. So I'm thinking, like, once he got down in the pit, he saw the panels, he's like, huh. Maybe Cook was on to something. Yeah, all right. Maybe he wasn't so crazy. I don't know, something like that, okay? Maybe he really was an alien trapped in somebody's body, that, like he told me several specific <laughs> times. So, as he's getting closer to the panels, of course, gravity is affecting him more and more, he notices that the panels have the same markings as the spaceship. Okay. Okay? As he is making his way to these panels, he feels a stabbing pain in his calf. A spear has gone clean through his, his calf. Well, what did he do that for? Uh, that was, fr- that was from Pajama Pants, I, I think. figured, yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, dude, come on. <laughs> you, you taunted the guy with a spear. I mean, yeah. Like, come oh, on. Yeah. Your last word, yeah. So. Surprise, it didn't happen sooner. So he then takes a Tai Chi breath. This happens a couple times throughout the book. I don't know what the hell a Tai Chi breath is. I don't do Tai Chi. But whenever he needs to calm down and center himself, he, he takes a moment and does a Tai Chi breath. It's the after earth kneel. Take a knee. Exactly. Yes. Just time to collect yourself. Like mechanically, exact same thing. So he takes a Tai Chi breath, and in the, the shaft of the spear shattered on impact because the increased gravity. Okay. And the blade was flattened on the other side of his calf, right? So he can't exactly pull it out, but he doesn't have a lot of extra weight, you know, right. causing a problem. So he's still able to crawl, and he keeps crawling towards the panel, right? He finally gets the panel and manages to lift it up so that he can get it between him and the artifact. And immediately, the extra gravity has completely died. Oh. The whole crowd goes silent. Miller moves the panel closer to the artifact, and then until he, like, can feel it hit the the panel, and then leaves it propped up against the artifact, and notices that there's, like, a bunch of more panels around, and starts gathering them so that he's essentially closing up this artifact with these panels. Right. Until the gravity isn't affecting that area at all anymore. That's, That's how that works. And, and from this, he deduces this must have been the container that moved the artifact originally. Dropped down into the volcano. Right. And it just, you know, 
popped open and, yeah. you know, and did that. So he then faces the, the chief after, like, closing all this up, and the chief bows down to him. And in response, the rest of the village bow down to him, except guess who? Oh, no. Yuki. <laughs> Yuki isn't there. She's not mentioned. Oh. Which I'm like, what the hell? She should see all this heroic stuff. I mean, I'm saying. Nah, it was, so, it was pajama pants. It was pajama pants, my man. He does not kneel down. Oh, no. He is fucking pissed. Because well, yeah. he wanted him to die, right? Yes. Okay. Again, a <laughs> so. little extreme. Understandable, though. Right. Oh, at this point, I abbreviated pajama pants to PP, and that makes me giggle. Anyways, <laughs> uh, pajama pants then grabs a, another spear and charges at Miller. He jumps down into the arena. Like, Miller is now, like, he's got, like, he has broken fingers from the gravity well. Yeah. He had a spear through his calf. Yeah, another one he, through he's his been, back of his arm. Yeah, and he's been getting hit in the head with rocks this whole time. So he's not in great shape. Nah, he's fine. So he's going to, so they're going to fight, all right? In my notes here, I have, they have a really confusing and boring fight. And I don't remember anything about it, but I remember <laughs> that while reading it, I didn't know what the hell was going on. That tracks. But they're fighting, and Miller seems to keep, you know, hold his own, but he's running out of time and yeah. strength, right? Yeah. He has his back up against this artifact covered in panels, right? And Pajama Pants has a, a grin on his face. He knows he has the upper hand now, and yeah. that Miller's too tired. Miller then casually steps aside and drops one of the panels. As you would. And Pajama Pants, R.I.P., is liquefied by the enormous gravity well. <laughs> Literally liquefied because no one has been that close to the artifact. That's the right? blender part. So, so he is victorious. And the chief breaks her spear in half, like over her knee. Okay. And then they all walk back to the village. Kind of like, ah, would you beat her trial? Whatever. Didn't you have a machine gun staff? Yeah, but it's, it's not a working machine gun. It was just a staff. It was just parts put together in a staff. But I'm saying, is that what she broke? No, she. I don't know what happened to that. She has a spear now. She okay. broke it in half. Okay. I don't know what happened to her staff. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. So they all get back to the village, and now all the villagers are, like, really in a funk. Because they, they essentially prayed to this artifact, and it was their god that they sacrificed people to. Right. And Miller... Defeated their essentially god. defeated their gods. So yeah. they're like, well, now what do we do? Just sit around and mope, I guess. Worship me. Which they're essentially doing right now is they're just all moping around. So Miller decides to cheer him up. Oh. So I don't know why they, okay. they wanted to kill him. Nice guy, Miller. He's a, a nice guy, apparently, and in more ways than one. <laughs> and so he decides to go down to the beach, light a fire, like a bonfire. Okay. Get an empty gas can out of his plane. Oh dear. Start drumming on it and singing gibberish. That seems really <laughs> racist. A little bit. A little insensitive. Yes. A little presumptuous. Yes. And he's just, he's like just singing whatever songs come into his head. Like Old MacDonald had a farm because they don't know English. It's not yeah. going to matter. He's just singing whatever. And slowly the villagers start noticing and the elders come down and the chief comes down. And then he makes like a big show of ending his singing and then he has a flare gun tucked into his the back of his waistband. Okay. So he slyly fires it off, aiming towards the ocean. And they they're like, oh, oh like what what the hell is As, this? Yeah, that's fair. So he's making a show of like performing his magic, right? He then explains to them that he is from the world of the gods. And oh. he has come for their god Ku. And God Ku, the sphere thing they've been wor worshiping, is sick. And he needs to take him back to the land of the gods. Okay. To heal him, okay. and then he'll return once he has been healed. Uh-huh. 
So in this, they don't have to give up their religion right. or way of worship. Right. It's just their God is gone for a while. So he manages to solve their little social crisis right. and at the same time have a reason to take the artifact away. Right? Not bad. I'll say that's not bad. It's No, that's that's pretty good. It has flavors of Judeo-Christianity. Yes. In the uh, Your God is Returning. Yeah. But there's a lot of a lot of religions that follow suit. So so they're happy again. Yeah. They're all partying and they get shit faced, including Miller, right? And they keep trying to help him get around because he got stabbed through the leg with his right. spear. Yeah, because they were stoning him and throwing spears at him. Also, there's no mention of him taking out the spear tip ever. They don't mention that. So Man, he must have a hard time at the airport. Yeah, I'm assuming I'm assuming stone. I, I don't know. It said that the tip was bent from the impact. So I'm assuming it was metal from the scrap they have. That would, yeah. So yeah. he he apparently yeah. took it out at some point and he makes, uh, there, he makes a point of saying that it missed the bone and any major arteries. So it's fine. Nice. <laughs> not an issue. Don't even worry about it. Recovery I'm gonna time say, is six to eight minutes. I'm going to say that's not fine. <laughs> No matter how you look at it, being stabbed in the calf with a spear is not fine. You can't walk on that shit. And it went through the calf. But guess what? He's a motherfucking Chad. Yeah. And he walks on it, okay? He doesn't give a fuck. I'm getting a little excited here. I just, I don't like this character. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't tell. Miller don't care. And so he he gets drunk, and they're all having a good time, and then he decides he's going to turn in for the night. They take him to Pajama Pants Hut. Because of course they do. Because of course they do. Because you keep what you kill, right? <laughs> That's all I could think about was you keep what it, you kill. So does does Yuki get a say in this? Uh, she's apparently happy with it. All right. Which is convenient. Yes. Right? That is. Yeah. Huh. I mean. she She's not there she, at the moment, though. Oh. So he just goes to the hut. Okay. And crashes there. He wakes up a few hours later. He is inexplicably naked. I don't think it's inexplicable. And Yuki is also naked on top of him. I think that's rape. Yes. Yes, it is. Because when he wakes up, she notices he's awake, and she says the word which is equivalent to, again, tracing her fingers on his chest. Uh Uh-huh. And then they bang. But he wasn't conscious for the first time they banged. Inability to deny does not imply consent. So, yeah, that's just... Passed off as a good thing. Right, right. Well, <laughs> she did invite him over and he went. She didn't invite him over. No, the, the village the, the people first time, just. The first time. Oh, the okay. Yeah, yeah. But I. They, no, you're I, right. I'm uncomfortable with this. Yes, so, as anyway. you should be. So, anyways, they bang again, even though he wasn't conscious to enjoy it the first time. They bang again. And then, so, so he's there for like a week. He's he's healing up. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's enjoying. Even he's, fine. he's enjoying the alcohol they make. He's banging Yuki like six times a day. And he's he's constantly talking about her tits. I didn't mention this, but when he first saw her, he mentions her tits like five times on the same page. Huh. He, he's there for a week. He's enjoying everything. He loads the, the artifact onto his plane, which is really difficult because he still has the wound in his calf. Oh, now he, it's bothering him. Now it's bothering him. Okay. So carrying the artifact, which he says is, is about 100 pounds, he has to carry it down from the volcano to his plane, which right. is down by the beach, whatever. So... He gets it in the plane, and he decides he's going to leave. And he tells everyone, okay? So they all gather down by the beach to see him off. And Yuki gives him uh, some bling. She gives him a necklace that she made herself, right? These are PJ's, uh, PP's testicles? 
<laughs> that would be great, actually. But no, it's it's made out of feathers and wood and whatever. Okay. okay, so so he takes off from the island, and as he's flying back to, so he's still going for Tahiti. Okay, he needs to make it back to Tahiti. Yeah, he left Cook's remains, by the way. He didn't take those. <laughs> okay. Okay, just just left the body formerly known as Cook. Yeah, which, coming up, I have a case for taking his remains. I think it would have been a good idea. Okay. But anyways, he's flying to Tahiti, and during that time, so Tahiti is, like, coming into view. He's, he's like, about to land, mm-hmm. right? Time freezes again. Mm-hmm. But now it's, like, a prolonged period, and during this time, he hears a voice coming out of the radio that he doesn't recognize. Oh. And, uh, by the way, the whole time, the radio hasn't worked. So he's been trying to radio the tower to land. Yeah. But he doesn't, he, he doesn't see planes. So he's like, I guess I'm okay to land, but I can't get anyone on the radio. Yeah. But the radio starts apparently working and here's a voice that says, go back. Now do they come? Go back. And a storm appears out of nowhere. Again. Yeah. You remember that storm? Yep. It pops up again. Yep. Right in front of him. So Miller is fighting to keep control of the plane as before. Meanwhile, the crate holding the artifact, which is really heavy is bouncing around in the back of the plane, right? Oh, that can only lead to good things. Which, if he had taken Cook's remains, that would have cushioned, like, that would have eaten up space. Right. And possibly kept it from bouncing around. Right. Also, maybe just tie it down. Yeah, or just, yeah, pack it. Just Like, what the hell? (laughs) Clearly, your plane has the ability to carry cargo. Yeah. Maybe use it like a cargo plane. I I don't know why he didn't tie it. I don't know. Do anything. Give a fuck, man. Yeah. Like, come on. What happens if it breaks open? You're going to liquefy your plane? What do you do then? Yeah. So, so eventually, as he's dodging, this storm seems to be like trying to catch him. Yes. And he's like, want, he's like weaving around and speeding up and going up and down, getting away from it. And lightning strikes the plane. And so he turns sharply, which causes the artifact to break through the fuselage completely. Oh. At this point, he's over the airfield trying to get lower to land. Okay. And so it lands on the airfield. Okay. This part is just really trippy and weird. This is a pretty cool part of the book, but it's kind of hard to explain. So basically, the artifact falls and lands over and over. So every time it lands, something different happens. So it lands in this complete blackness. And then, bam, it's back to falling again, lands... And then everything is brown and barren, and the sunlight is barely coming through the clouds. And oh. then it back, it's back to falling and lands again. So it's like those, some fucky timeline stuff happening, That's pretty right? cool. That is pretty cool. I appreciate that yeah. part. Which the guy worked on Star Trek, so I'm sure he's pulling I mean, yeah, from totally. something. 100%. <laughs> so the, the quote-unquote last time it lands, there's this brilliant light brighter than the sun that comes from where the artifact lands. Okay. For like a flash. And then lightning is just crashing down on this spot like bam 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 like that and every time lightning strikes he is teleported to another time so he's Uh like in the past with dinosaurs he's in the future next to a giant mushroom there's weird shit happening right eventually it stops and he he he's still above the airstrip so he he just lands it and he figures he's back in the present right that's a dangerous assumption it turns out to be wrong because when he lands the plane, he gets out, looks at Control Tower. Control yeah. Tower is in ruins, ah. but not ruins as in like it recently got destroyed. Ruins as in this place has been abandoned for a long time. Okay. Right? Now we're in the time traveler. Exactly. So he remembers a little bit about what Cook told him. And one of the things Cook told him was if the artifact is destroyed, he would have 72 hours to correct that mistake. No instruction about how to correct that mistake. Just he had 72 hours, right? 72 hours. In a, in a trippy time field thing, too. Right. Dawn of the first day. 
72 hours remaining. And so he goes up to where the artifact landed, and it is in a million pieces, completely shattered, right? No longer does it give off the gravity stuff, right? It mm-hmm. seems to be completely broken. So he's like, ah, shit, whatever. I guess I'll take a small piece and put it in my pocket. Maybe I can use it later. So he puts a small piece in his pocket. He then hears screaming and sounds of battle coming from a nearby forest, like on the edge of the strip, right? And he sees a group of naked Celts, painted blue, running out of the forest, like a bunch of burly men painted blue with, like, swords. This is Tahiti, right? It's supposed to be, right? Uh Uh-huh. It's a little weird, huh? Correct me if I'm wrong. The Celts. They were they were not in Tahiti, right? <laughs> also, were they naked? I thought they wore stuff like kilts. I've seen it both ways. I think it depends on the historical accuracy of the I guess. I don't know. Watching. Anyways, these guys come out and they're naked, and then a woman in a cloak comes out, and she has like flaming red hair. Ooh. They all seem to be running from the same thing, and there's like sounds of battle and horses inside the forest, mm-hmm. right? So once they exit, he sees samurai on horseback coming out of the forest chasing them i'm i'm all killing, in. <laughs> killing i'm them. i'm 100% on board with this yeah, samurai fighting samurai. Celts. this is the deadliest warrior this, this is, is like awesome this is deadliest warrior this is age of empires yeah this is so, everything i want so he quickly grabs the flare gun and cartridges out of the plane right okay. the woman and two of the burly celts uh, men run up to the plane i'm going to call her merida that's damn close, dude. Really? That is really fucking close. So, so they kind of run up to the plane, and they're they're like, "Protect her!" Like, and so he's like, "Okay." So he like throws her in the plane, much to her protest, because she wants to fight too. And then these burly Celt men, two of them go. Well, actually, most of them run off, and then one of them goes to fight one of the samurai, who quickly decapitates him. This chick that was in the airplane, yeah. Merida. Gets pissed off seeing one of her guys killed, uh-huh. steps out, and st- starts shouting curses at... Curses as in she is saying spells. She's right, like speaking right, right, yeah. witchcraft. Yeah. And moving her hands and stuff. And Miller is like, this bitch is cray. I need to get her back in the plane. She's going to die. Yeah. And while he's thinking that, the horse the samurai is riding seems to go crazy Ooh. and buck off the samurai, right? Okay. And She's so he, speak with animals. Apparently. She, she has animal speech or whatever yeah and so the samurai gets back on his feet and is kind of pissed no yeah starts coming after them so miller grabs her and is like like we need we need to go right now and so the samurai shoots an arrow and he he gets the lady out of the way so the Mm -hmm. arrow misses hits the fuselage and punctures a hole in the fuel tank so fuel is leaking out of course do you see a pattern here Uh, yes or a chain of events leading to something right yes so then he gets around to the other side of the plane so this samurai can't shoot arrows at him. Yep. Samurai gets super close, pulls out his sword because uh-huh. the bow and arrow is no longer useful. So he grabs the lady and uh-huh. is like, we need to make a break for the ruins of that tower. That's the only defense we have. Sure. And he doesn't understand understand what she's saying. She doesn't understand what he's saying, right? Right. right. So he, it's not like before where he had some inclination. Like now he has no idea. Right. And so he's trying to communicate to her they need to get to the stone tower. And she's like, fuck that. We need to fight this guy. Together, because she's apparently a badass. I like her. And so he gets her away from the plane. The samurai comes around and is about to shoot another arrow, because now he has some. they have some distance there. Right, line of sight. Mm-hmm. Right. So then Miller pulls up quickly and shoots the flare gun, uh-huh. aiming for the fuel on the ground, but yep. actually just hit the samurai. So the samurai just lights on fire, rolls around in the fuel, and burns yep. to death. Right? There you go. So then they both book it for the ruins, and they're hiding out there, and they get to talk a little bit. And he learns that her name is Mara. Mara. Okay. What did you say? I said Merida. Merida. Okay, Merida so... is is the Disney princess from Brave. 
So he learns her name is Mara. Miller is now horny for Mara. Okay. Because he is. Yeah. That's he, just who he is. Yeah, he, he has to bang every girl he sees. <laughs> exactly. Yuki? There is no Yuki anymore. Now, Mara is very professional with him throughout the book. Okay. Like, he doesn't do anything, but she, like, double doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, he kind of gets friend zone from square one, yeah. right? So they're kind of they're kind of uh, just talking, and meanwhile, the samurai come racing back the way, you know yeah. from where they chased off the the other Celts, right? And there's a huge group of bagpipe playing Celts, about 50, 60 of them. Okay. So from wherever these guys came from, they're they're the reinforcements, and they chase the samurai off, right? Mara is super happy and celebrating with the warriors, and they take Miller back to the village, right? So we're back to another village. The villagers are super hospitable, and soon everyone is feasting around a bonfire. Because, of course, they are. Yeah. Miller kind of wanders away from the group, you know, after eating a little bit. He kind of wanders off, and it just starts, like, staring up at the stars and thinking about how fucked he is. Because he's like, I need to stop this artifact from, like, because since the artifact has been destroyed, it seems that time and space is all over the place right now. Right. Because you have Celts fighting samurai, and neither of them should be in Tahiti. Right, exactly, on the so, ruins of an airport. Right, so like, he's like, so the destruction of this thing has shattered time space, and I have 72 hours to reverse this. Right. Or else it's stuck like this forever. Right. And he doesn't know where to go, what to do once he gets there. He has no idea, right? This is the, the first time that I'm actually like, yes, I'm with you on this. Yeah, so, so as he's thinking about this, Mara comes up, and in the book it made it sound like she was making eyes at him. Or okay. She, she had a sparkle in her eye. Is what it said, I believe. So I was thinking, like, oh, they're going to get together then. Yeah. And then she takes him back to the to the party, and then everything's kind of, like, died down a little bit. Everyone's a bit quieter. And then they sit around this fire, and then an old robed man begins playing a harp while talking about the story of Miller rescuing Mara and some of the other... Well, he didn't really rescue the other words, but whatever. Rescuing Mara. So it's, it's just this bard singing about how awesome Miller is for a little while, right? That's a good ego boost for a guy who clearly needs it. <laughs> right. And uh, Miller gains a buff of six temporary hit points for the next eight hours. <laughs> and, and so that was, that was cool. And then he goes to sleep. And then Miller wakes up the next morning really early. And he had a nightmare of the Bodies coming to get him. Mm-hmm. So the Bodies, the, the environmental guys that right. want the artifact, right? Do, do we know what they look like? He doesn't really describe it. He okay. just says the Bodies are coming to get him. Okay. In his nightmare. Yeah. And Mara, in his dream, keeps saying the numbers 38, 123. 38, 123. It's yep. not seven digits. I was expecting seven. It's five digits. So eight, or 38, 123, just saying this over and over. And he wakes up, and those, mo- those numbers are still running through his mind, right? He notices that the artifact fragment he had in his pocket and the bling that Yuki gave him was gone. Ooh. Okay. Right? Is he also naked and boning a chick? <laughs> He's not naked this time. Thank God. That's good. He's woken up without being naked. That's a good thing. So then he goes immediately to Mara's hut. I don't know how he knows where Mara's hut is. He just goes to Mara's hut. Eh, they probably showed, gave him a tour. And he eventually communicates to her that he needs to find a boat. Okay. Because they're on an island. He yeah. needs to get off the island. And he, and he knows where, because he wants to get to California. Okay. I don't remember why he wants to get to California. I think he just wants to, th- there was something Cook said about a lab in at his University of Berkeley. Right. And I, I, I completely forget, and I didn't mark it down, but it's he wants to get back to California. So he communicates tomorrow that he needs a boat, and she finally understands, and so she agrees to take him to where the boats are. So 
she gets suited up with her dagger and stuff and her she has like a pouch of magic shit, whatever. And then a couple of the warriors accompany them, right? Mm-hmm. So they start trekking for the coast, which isn't that far away, I imagine. Because he was, he was on a landing strip not a second yeah, ago. exactly. And so they start heading for the coast. And as they're going, the warriors and Mara are noticing that the plants don't make sense. There's, like, plants that aren't native to that area mix and matching. Like, you got palm trees next to evergreens, stuff Ooh. like that. So... And the warriors are getting a little nervous about this. Sure. They're like, what kind of what kind of hell is this guy leading us into? Or, you know, because they don't really trust him. Like he yeah. saved Mara and they're thankful, but they don't really know yeah. him at all. Like again, finally logical. yeah, finally someone who makes sense yeah. there. I say again, not really again. That's kind of the first logical explanation we've yeah. seen. Yeah. <laughs> so when they reach the shoreline, there's no sign of any boats or dock. And Miller's confused. He's Wonderful. like, You were bringing me to boats, there's no boats. Mara and the warriors are also confused because they're like, there are boats here and they're gone. There's nothing here. Yeah. So they decide to part ways because they're like, well, we can't help you find boats if they're not here. So sorry. And Miller's like, I guess I'll just go up the coast until I find something maybe. Yeah. So they part ways and then they give him like a dagger and a a cloak and stuff um, because it's kind of cold. Three strands of Mara's hair. (laughs) Not not quite. But so they, they give him some gifts and then part ways. Almost immediately. So Miller's deciding which way he's going to go up mm-hmm. or down the coast. Mm-hmm. So he, he decides he's going to go left the, uh, down the coast, right. I guess. And at that moment, he is struck in the head, and he has no idea by what. And he falls 20 feet off the cliff down oh. to a ledge. Okay. And then he, he kind of, like, wakes up after this fall and is like, what the hell happened? And he looks against the cliff. There is graffiti on the cliff. There is an ancient Egyptian symbol for the god Osiris. Osiris is the lord of the underworld. Oh. So he sees that graffitied on the wall along with the word Zoid. Zoid. You don't have to remember that because it doesn't come up again. <laughs> Zo- like, like, like Zoids? Like the like Z-O-I-D. I don't know why that's in the book because it doesn't come up again. Look, it was a sponsor deal. Like, maybe. It's just the, it's the symbol of Osiris and then Zoid underneath it. He then hears laughing and chuckling directly above him on the cliff where he was once standing. And he sees two men in dark, glistening bodysuits. They're wearing tinted goggles and half helmets. And they have Australian accents. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, we can't. What's he doing down there? Eh? <laughs> so that was, that was perfect. That was the perfect Australian accent. And, and they seem kind of hostile. And they're taunting him, and so he's like, obviously they hit me when I wasn't looking and right. knocked me down here. Right. So Miller is looking for his flare gun, but apparently he dropped it when he fell. He doesn't have his flare gun anymore. He just has the, the knife given to him by one of the Celtic men. Right. right. But as these thugs are talking to him, one of them kind of wanders off, and then the other one starts speaking with the voice he heard through the radio. Ooh. So this hostile person all of a sudden seems to be momentarily possessed by someone who's trying to communicate with him again. Does he make the connection that this is the voice of not Cook? No. Okay. Not at all. Okay. Not the same voice at all. It's just a voice okay. that's trying to help him. Okay. So the voice is telling him to go with these these thugs, that that they will lead him to where he needs to go. And the way he sees it, he can either, you know, he couldn't get off the cliff. If he fell off, he would die if he tried jumping off or something. And if he climbed up, they might beat him to death so he needs to figure out a way to like go with them right essentially he also noticed that the thugs had the symbol 
of Osiris on their backs. Ooh. On their suits, right? Okay. So he climbs up the cliff, and one of the thugs immediately attacks him, right? Yeah. That. Yeah. And he has he has like a like a little little laser knife thing, Ooh. so like very futuristic. Okay. Okay. Miller immediately disarms him because he's Miller. Right. Yeah. Because he's fucking he can Miller. Do no wrong. He's a Chad. Yeah. He'll knock the shit out of anyone. Yeah. No matter his condition. So he disarms the guy and has him on his back, and then the other thug just like hits him in the back of the head, and he's knocked unconscious. Right. He wakes up inside of a cave. Okay. With Mara treating his wounds. Oh. And they say wounds. I don't, they mention like puncture wounds, but I don't know how he got puncture wounds. They don't, I guess he got punctured when he was unconscious. Yeah. Maybe. By the laser knife. I don't know. Huh. So she's treating his wounds and okay. he's like, where the hell am I? What's going on? He hears a battle breakout outside the mouth of the cave between the Australian voice thugs and the Celt warriors. So I, this is where I get really confused. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> yeah. So the, the thugs were attacking him. Right. The Celts apparently came back for him, got him to a cave. Right. And then the so, but uh, I guess after the Australian he'd been stabbed a few times after he'd been stabbed a few times, and then the Australian thugs didn't attack him because because in the book it mentions they they were talking with these thugs. Right. And then they broke out. So at some point there was a cordial like interaction. Yeah. That we just aren't a privy to and and then they broke out into fighting again you know what they say they say tell don't show yeah yeah so that's peak writing yeah so they start fighting and immediately miller is like i need a piece of that action so he gets up and runs out there and the so the celts fighting the the these australian guys kind of wander off a little bit with their battle and then as miller and mara step out of the cave they get sort of ambushed by four more of these Australian thugs, right? All right. And one of them is over seven foot tall. Ooh. He's really big. Get some more guys and it'll be an even fight. <laughs> yeah, so so he's talking with these thugs. I'm sorry, Mara didn't step out yet. It was just Miller. Okay, just He Miller. steps out, he gets ambushed by these four guys, and he's talking with them, and they're talking about killing him, and he's, like, trying to negotiate some way out of this. While they their back is turned to the mouth of the cave, so Mara steps out and slashes the throat of one of the thugs, right? Nice. Yeah, she she is the most like useful intelligent character in this whole story. Yeah. And so the the other thugs then take Mara hostage. She she doesn't put up that much of a fight. <laughs> she she slit one of the throats and then gave up, I guess. And then a strange voice comes out of the giant one saying, "Tell them you're set, Osiris's brother." Okay. And Millard is like there's nothing for it. I might as well. Yeah. So he tells them, and after some discussion, the thugs decide it would be best to bring Miller and Mara to Osiris. Okay. Because they're like, well, Osiris did say his brother would come back. Yeah. So we should take him just in case. Right. And if he's not, we'll kill him then. Right. So they trek for a little while, and they arrive at a sheer rock face with a giant stone slab in front. And one of the thugs steps up, and there's like a face scanner that comes out of the rock and scans him. <laughs> and then a door opens, and it's a metallic hallway straight back. Okay? Nice. That's very Star Trek. So they go down these hallways for a little bit and then take an elevator that goes down to an underground chamber that is really, really big, like 100 feet high mm -hmm. and just massive. And there are clear pipes running along like near the ceiling everywhere that seem to be full of water or some type of liquid. Okay. And, and down in this cavern is just like slums. It's like Terrace Undercity. Oh, it's just nice. awful. Yeah. And these guards are leading him through here. On the opposite wall, there's like it, it's like a, a facade that's in the shape of a pyramid with an eye on the top. Nice. And the eye is like staticky and flickering and looking all over the place. It, classic Egyptian yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right. 
So they go up to the pyramid, and then there's a door in the pyramid. So it scans the guard again, and then it opens a door in the pyramid, and then they go through. On the other side is a water-filled chamber, and it's like up on a platform. Uh, they, they have to go up on this platform, and then it's full of water. And then there's it, – it's called a car, but I think a submarine would be better. All right. It's, it's a submarine, essentially. And it turns out these pipes are like a transit system around this giant base. Oh. So they get into this little sub, and it shoots them around, these pipes, until eventually they make it to a giant open area that's like kind of a sub-hub. <laughs> so it's, it's an underground water submarine base. And so they see a bunch more of these guards dressed the same, all with Australian accents. Nice. And they're whipping slaves that are loading these subs with cargo and various goods, yeah. right? Yeah, as you do. So it's essentially they're docks, like underground docks. Right. And so they're escorted through some more, you know, walkways and stuff until they get to Osiris's golden chambers. So they open these big doors and it's just gold everywhere. And they see Osiris. Osiris is a blue-skinned, bird-headed mm-hmm. entity. Now, I mentioned that that guy's not in the book. Yeah. Because it's Anubis. Yeah. He's jackal-headed. <laughs> Osiris has a hawk, like, yeah, like a, a bird hawk head. Right. So, like that, but hawk-headed. Right, right. So, th- that's what, Osiris. Because Set's a real deity as well. Yes. R- real Egyptian deity. What does Set look like? I don't know. I'm going to take a moment to look it I'm up. I'm going to look it up. Set that set looks like Anubis, uh, except okay. with a slightly longer nose. Looks more Ardvarkish. <laughs> He's got a snoot. He does it. That's he, a better one. That's a, that is a better one. Yeah. So Osiris kind of comes down off his throne, walking towards them. Okay. Miller doesn't say anything, and Osiris seems to be asking him, like, "Set, is it really you?" Which is a little odd. A little bit. A little odd. So Miller supposes that Osiris is a fake. See, he's not he's not really the god Osiris. He is a genetically modified faker. Okay. I, I don't know. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Yeah, I don't. That, that seems like a huge, like, I know, I, I get, like, not believing in an Egyptian god. But right. But to automatically be like, he must be a genetically modified mutant. Yeah. It's like, that seems equally this stretched. Is, this is future tech. That is clearly not a god. What? Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. It's like, I would, I would think hologram first. Yeah. I, be, with future tech, I'd be yeah. like, it's an illusion of some kind. Yeah. So Miller just decides to go along with it and play the part. So he's like, yes, I'm your brother, Set. And he ex- and so Osiris was like, it really hurt when you broke me into seven pieces. And which in Egyptian lore, it's he was broken into 14 pieces. Ooh. So Osiris was broken by Set and like Osiris's wife or something into 14 pieces okay. and then scattered them across the Nile where they're eaten by crocodiles or something like that. Nice. And then eventually someone remade Osiris with because they had his dick, so they just remade him from his dick. I'm pretty sure that was the that was the lore. And so Miller notes this inaccuracy, yeah. and says fourteen, brother, because he feels like he's being tested. Yeah. And then Osiris is like, indeed, fourteen pieces. And then so he he feels like he's maybe yeah. tricking. If he is genuine, he's tricking him into believing he's his brother because he knows about Egyptian stuff. And then Miller asks that they speak alone, just him. Osiris and Mara, and all the guards leave. And Osiris is like, I can kill you whenever I want, so sure. And he tells all the guards to leave, right? Then Miller asks Osiris to drop the act and just give him a submarine to get out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Can I speak to you alone without... Yeah, yeah, guards that... Yeah, no, if you guys could just leave. Okay, now, you want to help me get out of here? (laughs) You're you're bullshit. Can I buy a sub off you, please? (laughs) Can, can Can I just leave? 
Osiris says that he has no reason to give them a submarine. Naturally. Which is true. Yes. And says that now that he has outed him as a fake, he's going to have to kill him. And he pulls yes. out a, a lightsaber. <laughs> that also, that tracks. Yeah. So he, he pulls out a laser sword and, and attacks Miller. They fight. And during the fight, Miller figures out that he is a hologram. Ooh. Right? Because he tries to attack, because uh, Osiris is like, go ahead and attack me. And then he has like this staff that he found and he it passes right through him. But Osiris can still affect him physically. Okay. He can still grab him and hurt him. So he his theory is that he can't do both. He can't both attack and right. not receive damage. Right. But that doesn't matter because he doesn't fight. He just runs. <laughs> so oh, him and Mara okay. just run. I really don't get the point of saying all that if you're not going to actually fight him. Like, fuck you. That's a classic anime setup. Yeah. It's like, I figured out how this thing works, and in one strike, he's dead. Like, no, they're just like, let's get out of here. I know how it works. Bye. Yeah, this is this is cringe. Let's get out of here. So they run through a, t- a tunnel. Not the one they came through. Not the door yeah. they came through. A yeah. different one. And as they're running down this tunnel, they slam into an invisible wall, and it knocks Mara out, completely unconscious. <laughs> So Mil- Miller has to carry her unconscious body. <laughs> I mean, that's not funny, but that's funny. It's pretty funny. Oh, my God. I forgot the best part. Osiris also has an Australian accent. Oh. So the whole time he's like, hey, come here, cunts. You're not getting away. And he's like chasing him like fucking, uh, who is it? Jack from The Shining. Yeah. So yeah. he's chasing him. Like, oh, hey, come here, cunts. Someone gets you. Like the whole time. And so okay. <laughs> trying to navigate their way down through these tunnels, right? Eventually, Osiris catches them up, and it's in another gold chamber. It's not the same one. It's a different one, I think. And Osiris catches up, and he's like, Oi, I'm the god Osiris. You can't fuck with me, mate. And then he waves his hand, and the floor beneath them disappears. Mm -hmm. And they fall. And while they're falling, Mara wakes up from her unconsciousness. Nice. And starts flailing. And they fall into water. Okay. Right? Okay. And so (laughs) Miller... To to help out Mara, because they need to swim, right. he removes her robes. Oh. Which are hard to swim in. Uh-huh. As you do. As you do. So he doesn't take off any of his clothes. No, he's fine. He's good. He just yeah. takes off her clothes. No, yeah. She she needs so to be naked now. She well, she's not completely naked. She has a very thin cotton shift. She's yeah, wearing. it's not doing anything. It's not doing anything, especially wet. Yeah. And then, oh, at this point, he also makes a note of how hot she is. He just has to stop and be like, she is goddamn beautiful when she doesn't wear clothes. So he's a fucking pig. A little bit. <laughs> not a bit. No, I, not, not a little bit. God yes. damn it. I, yes, I, he I is. I really wanted him to die or something. What an unlikable character. <laughs> yes. And so they they start swimming, and they're, they're like, they're out where the docks are. So they're like, we need to swim to the dock, grab a sub, and get out of here. Yeah. Because nobody knows where we're at right Skedaddle. now. Skedaddle. Right. So... As they're swimming, there, so there's a slave that gets knocked into the water at one point. I, I don't remember if it's here or, like, earlier, but a slave gets knocked into the water for, like, not going fast enough or something. Yeah. And there's a slurry of, there's, like, turbulent water and a slurry of blood and gore, so something, like, ate him. Yeah. And so that comes back into Miller's mind. He's uh-huh. like, oh, no. Like, there's something in here that's going to eat us. And so he tries to communicate to this this to Mara, and she seems to understand, but she doesn't seem to be concerned at all. And she just kind of taps on an amulet around her neck. Yeah, the the, the amulet of animal speak. Of animal, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And so he's kind of freaking out because he's like, you get sure we're going to get eaten. And she's like, ah, don't worry about it. He's like, no, I'm serious. He's like, ah, whatever. So she starts swimming to the dock, mm-hmm. and then he sees a giant dorsal fin coming toward them, mm-hmm. right? So he's freaking out even more, and she's like, ah, whatever. 
And this thing, instead of grabbing her and eating her, just kind of does a little swim around her. And then she reaches out and starts, like, rubbing it on the nose. It's like a big shark. Adorable. So, yeah, so she's just rubbing it on the nose, and it, it seems it's like a pet. And so he's kind of marveling over this, and he's like, well, whatever. That, that's good. We need to get to the dock now. Yeah. So they get up on the dock, and then she gives a kiss to the giant shark, and then it goes away. Okay. And then they immediately go to, and, and everyone sees this, by the way. All the guards and the slaves yeah. see her tame a megalodon yeah. in front of them. So they're all freaking out. They're just... Not getting anywhere near them. So they immediately go to one of the guys on the dock, and they're like, hey, where's a really fast sub? We need to get out of here. And, oh, and Miller's still like, I'm Osiris's brother set. We right. need to leave. And after seeing that, they're like, well, of course yeah, you're clearly you're brother. Set. Yeah, yeah, clearly. So they give him, like, the best sub they have, and they take off just in time for Osiris to be coming to the docks to uh-huh. stop him. Uh-huh. So they take off. And uh, on on the computers of the sub, it marks like where the way out is to the ocean. So they're heading for that, and then Osiris le- uh, sets off like ten other subs to chase them. I'm gonna skip this whole part because it's not interesting. It's it's the Millennium being chased by Tie Fighters. That's it. All right. He's being chased by Tie Fighters. After he gets away from all these subs, in in the process of this, he learns that these subs can also fly. Nice. So if it breaks the surface, it can fly above the water like a little ways. Kind of like an advanced hovercraft or something. Yeah. And so they're flying, and he decides we need to... So he's he's making his way to Baja, to to the California coast. Yeah. He's like, uh, this thing has enough fuel to get us there. I don't know how he knows that, but... No, he knows it. Whatever. He knows that. Look, he's an expert pilot (laughs) on this future tech craft. Right. So... So they set a course for California, and right after this, Miller starts thinking about how hot Mara is again. Yeah. And what and wondering if he should make a move, right? So she's still in the, just the shift at this she's, point, right? She's in a wet shift. Yeah. It's not it's not a great situation for yeah. her. Yeah. While he's in the middle of his his fantasizing, an alarm goes off and he looks at outside the view screen and they're approaching a whaling ship. Um Yes. Because time time space is checked. Right, right, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on how it got there, but how distracted are you? you? I don't know. It's going pretty fast, though. It's going yeah. like, I think you said 30 knots. I don't know what that transfer I have no concept. I, don't know. I seem to recall 12 knots being relatively fast for a ship. Yeah. So, so they're, they're going to 30. I guess they're flying. So the, the radar is like, oh, there's something ahead, and he looks, and it's a whaling ship. So he's like, oh, well, we don't want to be seen. We should go under the ship. So that literally does not matter in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> that's what that's what he, he thinks. So they submerge the he submerges onto the water about 20 feet. Okay. And they go under the ship, but when they're like right under the ship, he hears some type of boom, like some loud noise. And they are taking on water. Oh, like a yeah. depth charge? Like like their hull was somehow punctured. Huh. Right? And so he immediately surfaces the sub because he's like, fuck, we need to get above the water so we don't drown it. Yeah. Here. So he gets above the water. And uh, starts like bailing out all the uh, all the water, and at this point he notices what happened to the hull. There's a harpoon sticking through the top of the hull. Oh, so the ship saw him, thought yeah. it was a big whale, and harpooned him. Yeah, and now he was towing the ship. Yeah, and and the this causes the mass on the ship to crumble, and then the ship catches on fire, and everyone is dying. Ooh. And he feels really bad about this. So he turns this, he like stops the tub and turns it around to go back to try to pick up some of the survivors, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's a whaling ship. I imagine it has oil on it, so that's how it catches on fire, yeah. I guess. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I, whatever. So he goes back to pick up the survivors, and 
they're getting eaten by sharks. Oh. And so he tries to, he gets like about six of them on board his little sub, including yeah. the captain of the ship, which, you're the captain. I think you should like go down to the ship. You know, I mean, like, yeah. depends on the circumstance. I, think. I mean, it was not his fault. So, yeah, there's not, nothing he could okay, have done. Whatever. So th- they're all on his sub. And then one of the sharks bangs into the side of the sub and knocks them all into the water. Which, what happened to the shark whispering? That's what I'm saying. Like, well, the fuck? Where where is your amulet of, hey, don't hurt me? Yeah, so they get knocked into the water, and they're they're trying to, like, the captain, and I think the captain and Mara didn't get knocked in. So they're trying to help the sailors. The sailors are getting fucking eaten Mm -hmm. left and right, like snacks. One shark is coming straight for Miller, and then a bolt of lightning comes out of the sky, completely obliterating the shark, giving him enough time to climb out. Uh, that is the most literal, like, deus ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> so the captain and Mara pull him out. And then Ma- and then Miller accuses Mara of being a Bodhi. I, I don't know how he makes that connection. <laughs> so, uh, so, so the Bodhis, the environmentalists who are fighting for right, the artifact. Right. He accuses her of being a Bodhi. Because she's really hot, can speak to animals, and pulls him out of a out of a shark infested. I think ocean. because she recognized the fragment from the artifact and took it. Oh, I see. I think okay. maybe. Okay. Okay. And, and she doesn't seem like a gecko type, so that would make. So her she a has to be a Bodhi. Uh, maybe, although she she did give him back the. <laughs> I skipped over because I didn't think it was that important, but she gives him back the necklace and the fragment. The, but she like put the fragment on the necklace. Aw. Yeah. So she gives it back to him. So yeah, he's like, you're totally a Bodhi, and you've been manipulating me this whole time. You understand English and all that. And then after some pressing, she admits as much. She's like, yeah, I'm a Bodhi, and I was kind of trying to steer you into the right direction. Huh. Which I don't know what the, what the fuck that direction is. We still don't know where he's going. No. If where he's going is the right place. Yeah. And if he gets there, how he's going to do anything. And arguably the voice that directed him was not her, right? Uh, that he, The voice that he heard from... The radio and it, it from doesn't the... it doesn't say it, it I, does not I say just, I'm gonna I, say yes okay but he didn't recognize it as her voice right and they never talk about the voices again so I'm going to assume yes that was her voice or someone she is in league with right so she's telling him that his mission to stop the fragmentation of time uh-huh. is is what the geckos want and he shouldn't do that why. Exactly. That's what Miller's like. Like, why? This is a bad thing. We don't want all this chaos to happen, yes. right? This is this is not good. And so she explains that the geckos are genetically modified mutants that live underground and can only breathe polluted air. The Bodhis care for nature and live on the surface breathing pure air. This really is the time traveler. This it's 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 you have the weird, yeah. The, so the tribe that lives in the sun and the tribe that lives in the darkness. Yeah. And the tribe and that so, lives in the darkness preys on the tribe that lives in the sun. And so they're not they're not at war because the geckos can't live on the surface and the Bodhi can't live underground. They have their own domains. Right. They they are like the geckos are trying to get the artifact because they can use it to change events in time mm-hmm. to then kick the Bodhi out and make the whole planet the whole planet their domain, right? Yeah. So they're they're at war, but not really. Like they're both after the artifact, but there's no they're not at war. Right. They're just not. They're in their own domains. Right. But they're both after the artifact for different reasons, right? So she then explains that the geckos travel through time via forceful possession. So they use their technology to yeah, forcefully put their life force in someone else's body and take over completely without any consent, right? The Bodhis meld their spirits with other willing entities in order to time travel. 
So Mara time traveled to the time of the Celts, mm-hmm. but she had to like contact someone who was already living in that time, and then their willing. spirits would meld. Yeah, what? <laughs> and it's so like that's like seance stuff. Yeah, it's really weird. And by the way, none of this explains why she doesn't want him to stop the time shattering thing. Right. And he doesn't ask again. Huh. They. It's it's confusing. Okay? And she's hot. And she's hot. So. But but she's he's also like not into her anymore because he's oh. like you manipulated me so I'm not which is surprising you know that's good that's good I'm I'm proud of him yeah that's 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 character development he's actually resisting the girl who's just right there yeah so not giving him any opportunity yeah so that so he 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 doesn't press the question of why he shouldn't stop time from fracturing mm-hmm. I, I I don't know I'm a little confused about that point but anyways. She explains that geckos forcefully possess and the Bodhis meld their spirits with others. And those are, those are how they can time travel without the artifact. Mm-hmm. But with the artifact, they can time travel completely, right. I guess. Right. So the whaling calf, the whole time the whaling calf is listening to this, like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Because <laughs> he's just a, it's, uh, it's great. I, if you didn't <laughs> want witnesses, let him go. He's not to go. Let him drown. I mean that. Let him get eaten by sharks. Uh, that's kind of a bit far. I feel like. Look, that's he, a little bit far. He his whole thing was he didn't want to be seen. If there's no one to tell the story. I mean, I'm just saying it seems in his character from what okay. I've seen. At this point, the story has like 20 pages left. Oh. And I'm concerned. Okay. Because there's no end end in sight. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, how is this going to be resolved? Yeah. Is it? So, so I'm getting a little worried. So, <laughs> so, so Mara tells Miller that if they go to California, she can take him to the Bodhi headquarters. Okay. Where they operate from, right? And there, they will help him resolve the artifact however he wants. He can make the choice. Oh. Because they're all about not forcing things. Like, they don't, they don't, their whole culture is about not forcing things, not doing things without others' permission. If you want to do this, we it's because we we want you to want to do this. Right. And, it, and it's like very... Like everything should be natural, nothing should be coerced. Yeah. Even though they did manipulate him, yeah, no. Even though they sent somebody back in time specifically yes. to change the events so that he could get there. Well, Cook was was a gecko. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about Mara. Mara. Okay, yes. So yeah, they did they did do that. Yes, but, but yeah, at this point but, he but realized no, that you Cook really was a do gecko. gotta want it. But All yeah, right. yeah, Cook was a gecko because Cook, it was, Cook the was forcible, a gecko. Yeah, so forcible possession. So so they get to California. She takes him to the headquarters, and it's. Uh, so they described the, the the headquarters as being a large crystalline structure, and mm-hmm. I, I pictured Fortress of Solitude type shit, you know, like yes, no, where totally. Superman hangs out. And so they walk in, and there's there's like a little room, like a reception area, but not a reception area. Whatever, it's kind of empty. And they walk in, they meet four people: two men, two women. Okay. And their age is indiscernible. Are they hot? He doesn't say. Okay. Shockingly. Okay. Shockingly, he doesn't say. So one of them introduces themselves as Yeshiva. And then introduces the other ones as Arno, Isolte, and Frank. The author gave up at that point. <laughs> it's the Pac-Man effect. So the f- <laughs> the the five Bodies together, which includes Mara now, uh-huh. take Miller to a sort of conference room. And in the conference room is a bunch of blobby chairs that he says look like beanbags, but they're not. They're like more solid. Like the Kaminoan chairs. Kind of, I guess. But he says when he sits in it, it kind of morphs around his back. And massages him while he sits in. It. Oh, that's dope. That, that's dope, but it would also creep me out if they're like, "Let's talk in here." And yeah, it's like massage chairs. Yeah, that was a little weird. So, after some tense discussion, mm-hmm. because even the Bodies amongst themselves disagree on what to do with him. 
Although mechanic. collectively they agree they should not force him to do anything, right? Right. Um, so they, they eventually, after discussion, all agree that they need to let him make his own choice, mm-hmm. whatever it be, mm-hmm. and just give him as much information as they can about what could happen given his two choices. Right. And the two choices are let the artifact remain destroyed right. or go back in time and keep it from being destroyed, right? right. Those are his two options. Right. At this point, the group gets up out of the chairs and they take Miller to the gate where he must make his decision. All right. The gate is literally just another blobby chair. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So so he sits in the blobby chair and they explain to him that in this specific place, they have made an agreeable arrangement with time space. Yeah. And my name's Johnny Time Space. What can I do you for? <laughs> because they don't believe you should force anything, so you right. can't use technology to tear a hole in the you have to, space time. Space time has to agree to. Open yeah, for you, you have to. <laughs> you have to talk with time space, and then find an agreeable location uh-huh. where time space is like, yeah, you can come into my hole, and then they set up shop there. So Man, if only Yuki said that. So he's like, okay. So he sits in this chair, and they're like, you just have to think about a time and place, uh-huh. and you can go to any of these times and places that you want, uh-huh. right? Which brings up all sorts of questions. Does like, that have bearing in this chaos universe right now? Right. That and also does, because there is no time and space anymore. Right. So like, how does that work? Also, would he be possessing someone else's body like right. they do? Right. Would it be him, or would it be somebody else? Or or does he wholesale travel through time, body and soul? What happens... What happens to a, uh, a Bodhi if there isn't a willing recipient in the time that they want to go to? Because they just can't go to that time. That's real inconvenient. You, you have you have a severely limited number. Yeah. Of because I imagine the willing recipients are a lot fewer than the unwilling recipients. But the Bodhi do have magic, so I assume they just live forever. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's that. It's it's like magic versus technology. Right. So Miller is flipping through all of the parts of his life. Like, his life is literally, like, flashing before his eyes. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at what he's done with his life, the regrets of not having a family. And then he looks in on Yuki and finds out that she is pregnant with his daughter. Oh, man. And then he watches her grow up, but he can only watch to a certain point. Like, after she, she gets past the toddler stage, he can't see any further. So he determines at this point is when Gecko apparently destroys everything and it destroys his future or whatever. He has no future past that point, mm-hmm. right? So he finds the exact moment. He's like flipping through different moments. He's like, can I stop the artifact here? Can I stop it here? So he goes all the way to where the artifact was first discovered on a rock in outer space mm-hmm. and decides this is where I need to stop this whole thing. I need to stop it from being discovered at the source. So he says goodbye to Mara and travels through this portal. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the book! What? That's the end of the book! There's nothing else! And there is no second book! What? Because nobody liked this book! So I'm never gonna get the answers to this bullshit! Did, did he have a spacesuit? No. Did he just appear in space? I don't know! He, he just said did, he went through the portal! I'm so... I I know. I, I feel I feel like I'm I feel like I lost something there. I, I, that, that's why I'm so upset. I I told you I was like it the was end going of this there. Book pissed me off. It was going somewhere, and then it it didn't. This is horrible. I had so many questions. We need to email Michael Dorn. Yeah, we need to find out what <laughs> he wants. <laughs> hey, look, you don't have to publish anything. Just ru- just tell us what happens. Yeah, we gotta find him. <laughs> we gotta email we gotta him find- or something. Is there it's- is there contact information for the author? Uh, no, but we can ask the publisher. Look, we're 
I want to do it. Stay posted for a page too far exclusive. Yeah, I, we'll, I want to check. This. We'll figure out what happens here. Time Blender. So Time Blender. Yep, that's that's. Did time he Blender. write any other books? Like just in general, or is this I the only thing he's written? I think this is the only thing he's written, and I I, th I think it didn't. Let's look that up. Did he write anything? I don't yeah, know let's. I, I do. I do. Let's find out. Let's find let's out. Find out if Michael Dorn wrote anything else. He has written quite a few. So he, he's. He's written quite a bit, but this is his only purely That's his only fiction, pure fiction book. book. I didn't read this book, and I'm angry at this book. I know. Book. I've, like, I put uh, so much time into reading this, I have, and there's no ending. <laughs> I have no investment in this book outside of the show, but I want to know more. I want to know more. I have a sick curiosity, but at the same time, I'm like, unless there's more Australian dudes yeah because the whole time i'm reading it i'm just thinking all everything they said in australian it made me giggle so bad and then you have australian osiris so was <laughs> was there like actual language in the book or was that just an embellishment because they're australian uh that was my embellishment that's fair they're, they they just said might a lot yeah and that was about it yeah and i i <laughs> i threw in the language I, there, there are some there are some interesting parallels here uh this is this is fascinating I, I I do want to contact or see if we can contact Michael Dorn. Maybe we can meet him, meet up with him at a panel or something. That would be and interesting. Get him to sign that. Oh, dude, I'm gonna hang on to this. Yeah, keep that. If nothing else, this was enthralling for many different reasons. I I started out hating it, the idea of it, but I'm all in. I I honestly I did not expect more beyond the Polynesian volcano. Yeah, because it spends it just, so it much of the going. book there. Yeah. I was like, this is the whole book. It's just yeah. here. And then it just jumps and keep moving and, just, and stuff is and happening. And and yeah. It, it moved really fast. I think my favorite part of the book, aside from Australian Osiris, mm -hmm. is um, probably where he was hung, hang out with the Celts. I think that was really his best writing. Okay. Was when he was just chilling with the Celtic people. Yeah. Like, honestly, I felt like I was reading a different book during that. But I was like, maybe just write a book about that. That was, huh. that was interesting. Even though not a lot happened. I uh, that was the only time where I felt like Miller was an actual character reflecting on his circumstance. Yeah, instead of just reacting to everything around yeah, him. Yeah, and that he was with real people. Right. It was very different, right. but I really enjoyed that part. And especially like the old man singing the the song about yeah. the story. That was interesting. That's dope. I like I like that he didn't bang Mara. Yeah, that that didn't happen. This thank God. I mean, if there was a second book, there might Who knows? He might have been we didn't get there. He he. I choose to believe my head canon is that he stops it at the source and then somehow ends up uh, back in time with time to start over and finds Yuki and kills pajama pants and just kills pajama pants, <laughs> throws him into the volcano. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. We'll never know. Yeah, that's my head canon. So on the show we have a rating system. Essentially one to five stars, but we don't want to go with stars because that's really boring. Mm -hmm. So the ratings we have at the bottom is toilet paper, meaning that the only value in the book is in its physical material that it's made of. The next level up is shampoo bottle. And that means that if you're sitting on the pot and got nothing to do, or maybe you're stuck at an appointment with nothing to do, it's better than nothing. Uh, the third one is Ikea manual. So competent, but... Not really entertaining. The fourth level. What did we say on the fourth level? Kindle pick? Uh, Kindle pick. Yeah, something you wouldn't want the physical copy. But, but electronically. Picking up electronically. Yeah, yeah, if you can pick it up for cheaper electronically, then that's the way to go. And then finally, our fifth level is hardcover. You want to own the book, it's worth something. 
I honestly don't know where to put this book. <laughs> I would I would think I think for me having not read the book and having just listened to this this uh summary of it, I would put it at IKEA manual pending Michael Dorn's response. Yes, I I was thinking very similar. I think IKEA manual for the most part just maybe barely bleeding into Kindle pick. Like if it was a little bit better written. Yeah. It might be worth owning, but it's just not, there's too much that I mean, gets I mean, I got invested. Yeah, like I got invested. There's something about it that pulls you in, but it's not enough. There's yeah. there's too many dropped plot points, too many unanswered questions, and of course, there's no sequel. So we are tortured with the possibilities. Right. <sighs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. If you want to connect with us, um, we we realize here on this show that uh, every every book is somebody's favorite book. Uh, if we tore into this and you disagree, let us know. We have an email. Uh, you can email us at a, a page too far at gmail.com. It's a page two two t o o far at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'll be working on setting up socials here, Instagram, uh, Twitter, probably, and a Patreon eventually. And a Patreon. Yep. Eventually. Yep. We'll get there. We want to make sure we get the format right and see exactly that we know you know a little bit about what we're doing. But yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah.